So let me tell you that there is an invisible world at work around us, a world that most of us live oblivious to or ignorant of. Uh, Colossians 1.16, and I think we have this on the, on the PowerPoint, Don. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, and don't miss this, and for him. When the Bible talks about invisible things, it's referencing the spiritual realm, the invisible world that's at work around us that we can't see. The visible world, the things that he created that were visible, uh, is of course the physical realm, the natural realm, the realm that we live in. Are you following me? And so the, the, uh, what makes me so sad is that most of us live sensitive to and in tune with and moved by the natural world, what's visible to our eyes. And very few of us are even aware that there's an invisible realm at work. In fact, I would go so far as to say that some of you don't even believe there is a devil. Barna told us that two-thirds of all people do not believe that there's a devil. He loves that. That makes him very, very happy. C.S. Lewis, in his introduction to the Screwtape Letters, writes, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fail about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence... The other is to believe and to feel an excessive unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. You see, the enemy wants to limit our knowledge of that realm so that he can have greater liberty and freedom to wreak havoc in our lives. He wants us to continue ignorant and unaware. That way he never gets into, onto your spiritual radar and he can function camouflaged and concealed in your life. If someone doesn't believe there's a devil, they will live oblivious to him and totally unaware of his trips, traps, snares, and pitfalls. He counts on it. So whether we want to admit it or not, we are surrounded by both a visible and an invisible world. And we must begin living aware of them both. Uh, on the PowerPoint, uh, whoever's doing it, Sarah, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul, in this passage, is directing the Corinthians and us uh, to get our eyes off of what's happening in the natural and train ourselves to focus our hope and our attention to the invisible eternal realm. And we see the importance of this in the story in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. It's the story of Elisha. Uh, many of you uh, know this story. The king of Syria was making war against Israel. And Elijah the prophet warned the king of Israel that that war was going to come. And, and he told uh, the king of Israel all the details. And the king of Syria got word of that, got word about Elisha uh, giving the king of Israel the heads up. And, and so he sent a great army to the city where Elijah was staying. 
and they went by night and, and this great army surrounded the city. They were going to capture him as prisoner and early the next morning, Elisha's servant gets up very, very early and he goes out and he sees this army, this vast army surrounding uh, the area that they were in and he cried out to Elisha and he says, what shall we do? And Elisha basically said, you're viewing the situation in the natural and not the supernatural. Your eyes are fixed on the wrong realm. And, and we see it in 2 Kings 16, uh, 6, 16 through 17. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. You see, Elisha's servant only viewed things in the natural. He looked at his circumstances and he became filled with panic and anxiety and fear. He was oblivious to the supernatural reality that was around him. And Elijah was basically saying to him, there is a supernatural spiritual battle taking place that you're not seeing because you're focused on the natural. I wonder how many of us do the same. We get defeated, discouraged, uh, and, and downtrodden because we are looking at our circumstances in the natural, completely unaware that there are spiritual forces at work that we cannot see. You say, Rhea, that's too much for me. I'm sorry, it's truth, and I'm preaching truth to you. We may not have a physical army surrounding us like Elisha, but we do have enemy armies in the form of spiritual powers that surround us and try to destroy us and bring us down. They tempt us. They discourage us. They, they draw us away from the abundant life that Christ died so we could have. Sarah, if you could pull up Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle, that word wrestle is interesting, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, many of us sitting here tonight are fighting the wrong battle. We're, our focus is wrong. Although we live in the natural, we cannot continue to view our lives and circumstances that way. If we really want to fix the visible, physical problems that we experience in our life, we must address the, the spiritual and invisible issues behind them. Did you hear me? If you want to address the physical, natural circumstances and issues that you're having in your life, you must begin to look and address the spiritual and invisible issues behind them. We do not battle against flesh and blood. We cannot be unaware. It's interesting in this passage, that word rulers, I don't know if I have a, if I have a screenshot of it, but that word rulers in the Greek, the word is cosmocrator, which means God of the cosmos. It comes from the word cosmeo. I love that. It means to arrange and to put in order. So Satan, is, he has rulers of this world, and the word is cosmeo. It's where we get our word cosmetics. It means to arrange and put in order. I don't know about you, but I love cosmetics. The older I get, the more I love them. It's amazing to me what they can cover up. I can hide all my wrinkles, imperfections, age spots with cosmetics. And I, I just brought, ladies, you'll appreciate this. I just bought a brand new concealer. And, and, and I, I love it because I am 
chronically fatigued. Anybody that, that knows me will tell you that I go 24-7 at high rates of speed, and I am chronically fatigued. And, and my eyes show it. Without my cosmetics, I have dark circles under my eyes. And just recently, I developed this thing on the corner of my, my eyelid that, that is a big black mole. And this concealer, I just put it on there, blot it in covers it right up. You can't even see the none for what is it? None for the wiser. Can I just tell you? It's a great concealer, but we have an enemy who is so skilled at concealing and cosmetically covering up his schemes and the darkness around them. He, he makes them look accepting and appealing and we buy into them unsuspectedly. It does, it's just so fascinating to me that his name is, is Cosmo. It, it's where we get our words, Cosmeo, where we get our word cosmetics. It means to cover up. He covers up his schemes. He conceals them. He makes them look way better than they are. Kimberly Daniels says the Cosmo Crater's assignment is to cosmetically cover up darkness and to make it acceptable to humans. I love this. She goes on to say, these rulers of darkness make fetishes look like fads and witchcraft look like traditions, religions, political and social agendas. They make murder of the unborn look like a life choice and homosexuality look like a lifestyle. They are experts at making the wor make worship of the devil Make people worship the devil without even knowing it. Cosmocrator. Please don't get me wrong. If you're here for the first time and, and just listening to me teach, I, I'm not a person who looks for a demon under every bush. But I'm just going to tell you we cannot bury our heads in the sand and pretend they don't exist. And I'm afraid that's what the church today is doing. We are involved in a war, and it's an invisible war. And the rule of all engagement is to know your enemy. We read last week 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and Sarah, I think we have a slide. For though we walk in the flesh, we might be flesh and blood, but we do not war against the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Look at that, every thought captive. Uh, Paul, Paul is targeting where this battle is taking place. He says it's a, it's, a, it's a war and you have been given weapons and they're spiritual weapons and guess what? Here is where the battle is taking place, not on the earth in front of you. The battle is taking place between your ears, in your mind. That's where it's taking place. And we have got to get our eyes off the natural and start using those spiritual weapons that God has placed at our disposal. The enemy wants to invade your thoughts. His target is your mind. Unless you should have any doubt about his ability to impact minds, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Sarah, we have a slide. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Who has blinded the mind of unbelievers? The God of this world, Satan. So if you don't think he has power in people's minds, he has the ability to blind the minds of unbelievers. What can he do in ours if we let him? So we cannot be unaware. 
How does he, the, the enemy is looking for one thing in our life. He's looking for access. We talked last week, and I'm just going to reiterate it to you again. I'm going to say it again, that the word devil is diabolos. It means uh, uh, the, uh, diabolos, alongside and to throw. Uh, one who comes alongside throwing seeking to get penetration. He wants access into our thinking. He is a defeated foe. He has no power. Can I tell you, he was defeated on the cross of Calvary. Christ made a spectacle of him. He made a spectacle of him. He was defeated. And, and he has no power in our lives except what we surrender to him. So we grant him access. He does not have access. And his name is Diabolos, one who comes alongside throwing. Throwing accusations, throwing lies, throwing uh, 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 whatever, uh, pain, nasty words, unkind words. And he's trying to get penetration. And even if he doesn't get it the first time, he will keep throwing and throwing and throwing until he gets penetration. Because the only access he has is what you give him. And the second you start believing his lie, he gains agreement and he gains access to your life. That's why the Bible says, do not give place to the devil. Do not give an occasion to act is what it means. Topos, it's where we get our word topography. It means a geographical location in your life to work. Do not give it to him. Do not be unaware. And so he's looking for that. When you come into agreement with his lie, you're worthless. Oh, I must be. You have now given him a place to act in your life. And so we cannot be unaware of that. I came up with this little thing. Leslie, if you could give those out. I came up with this little thing. I was reading a book by, um, his name is Dick Denny, and I think it was Principles. I have it with me. I wanted to show you. It is uh, A Soldier Looks at Spiritual Warfare by Dick Denny. And I was reading that book, and, and I happened to come across, this is why I was late, because I, I just came across it, and the Lord just dropped something in my spirit, and I, I wanted to give you a tool that I, I really feel is pretty powerful. Um, and, and so we're going to hand it out to you. But he had a, a similar illustration. I added a bunch of st stuff to it, but I want to give him credit that it's what it made this initially come into my mind. I'm calling it the spiritual perimeter. Sarah, it should be at the bottom of all the slides. There we go. I'm calling it a spiritual perimeter. You say, well, that's an odd name, Rio. Why are you calling it that? Well, you know that I have two sons who are police officers, and one of them is on the SWAT team. And, and I was talking to him not long ago, and he was telling me the importance of establishing a perimeter. He, he said to me uh, that, that uh, during any law enforcement incident, when a bad guy is either at large or there's a standoff taking place, he said setting up a perimeter is vital to a successful outcome. He said, in fact, it's the first thing they do when they arrive at an incident, they, they establish a perimeter. And he said, the sooner it's established, the better chance there is for success. And uh, so perimeters are not only vital <laughs> for apprehending the bad guy, but perimeters, he said, are also vital for protecting the citizen. 
And so he said it's really, really important to establish a perimeter. And the simple goal of a perimeter is containment, containment of the bad guy, to limit the bad guy. And so as I was looking at this, I thought, oh my goodness, we're going to call this spiritual perimeters because the goal in our Christian life should be to limit the bad guy because Christ already limited him on the cross of Calvary. But that does not mean that he will not keep coming at us. He, he, he will still try to gain access through that perimeter. Even with the perimeter established, he wants inside the, the, the limits of that perimeter. I told you, Diabolos, he'll keep throwing and throwing and throwing until he gains penetration. And our mind is that entrance point to our lives. And Satan will keep throwing and throwing until he gains access. A city in biblical times, do, do you know this? That the only protection that a biblical city had was what? The walls around it. And so they would build, that's why Jericho had such incredible walls. They would, they would build these big, thick walls. Sometimes, how many chariots? Was it six chariots, Davey? I, I think it was six chariots. Uh, Jericho was six chariots across, that you could drive six chariots across. The, the, the walls were that thick, and they were super high. And it was because that was the only mode of protecting their city that they had. And so when the enemy came, he had to get through the gates. And the gates were heavily guarded. So he was not getting through the gates. And so his only option was to look for a weakness in the wall. That's why... The, the Bible talks about a breach in the wall. The enemy would go around the wall and he would survey the wall and he'd, he'd push things in looking for a breach so he could gain access unsuspectingly. The Bible says that your walls are salvation and your gates are what? Praise. And so salvation means deliverance. It means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means victory. And if there's any place in your life that you are not walking in victory, that, that, that you're not walking according to God's word, it's a weakness and the enemy will find that and Push it in and try to gain access to your life. We cannot be unaware. The enemy is like a roaring lion. He, he, he lions ambush their prey. He lies in wait in your life, waiting for a surprise attack, an unsuspecting attack. And his goal is to take you out of the place of abiding, a place of rest, and get you to act in opposition to God's word and to get you to cave into sin. And that's why Scripture says, and Sarah, I think we have a slide, Ephesians 6.16 says, above all, above everything else, all of that armor of God, here's what's the most important. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench or extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The enemy has fiery darts. <laughs> and I told you last week, he is watching you. And his schemes are tailor-made for you. They're, your scheme will maybe not work for me because the enemy knows where your weakness is. He knows where the weakness in your wall is. And, and his fiery darts are aimed right at that. And, and the fiery darts come in the, in the, in the form of many things. They can, they can be a nasty word. They can be in an unkind gesture. They can be in rejection or abandonment. They can be in sexual temptation. They can be in, uh, I don't know, give me some more. What's your fiery dart? What knocks you off your feet? Fear, fatigue, and come in all kinds of things. And, and the enemy has fiery darts that are aimed at you. But the Bible says that we have a shield of faith. 
faith is total trust in God, total trust in his word. That's why I tell you, this word is so important to get in you. Do you know what they did with the, with the shields in, in Bible times? They would soak them in water. And they were leather shields, and they would soak them in water. And then when the fiery darts came, they would hit that wet shield, and they would be immediately extinguished. Do you know what the water is, is symbolic of in the Bible? The Word of God. And that's why I tell you it's so important to get the Word of God in you, to get it memorized, because we do not fight the enemy with our silly, un our silly words. We fight the enemy with the Word of God, just as Jesus did when he was tempted. Your words do not have any power. God's word has power. And God means what he says. They're his promises. They're yea and amen to those who believe. If you believe them, he will back them up every single time. So when the enemy comes at you with a lie, we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. If that thought is not lining up with this word, which we should know, we're going to take it captive. We talked about that last week. Are you with me? We're going to put our shield up and extinguish anything the enemy is trying to throw at us, which does not line up with God's word. Okay? So back to our, to our um, uh, model, Sarah. So the fiery dart is anything aimed at getting you out of the presence of God and encouraging you to behave in a way that's not God-pleasing and that gratifies the flesh. Dick Denny says, if the dart invades our souls or consciences, we become spiritual casualties until we confront and deal with the wound. Some of you are sitting here as a spiritual casualty right now. Because you have a wound that's deep inside of you that you have refused to look at, refused to deal with. You're calling it something that somebody did to you or said to you versus what it really is, uh, the invisible realm that was at work in your life and triggered a fiery dart into your heart. And now you're fighting the wrong battle. You're fighting a person and not the enemy. Do you see it? So... This is what I threw together. It needs a lot of work, I know. I, it was five, what, half hour before we came. <laughs> but this is a spiritual perimeter. The spiritual perimeter, of course, is surrounded by the shield of faith. We have an obligation. Now, we want God to zap us. God, don't let them hurt me anymore. Take away their words. No, you have a responsibility to keep your mind renewed, to come into agreement with God's word. And so the shield of faith trust in God's word is what we hold up. We will have faith in this word. I told you last week, I believe every last word of this, every last word. I believe the ands and the therefores and the buts. I believe everything that this word says. It is the only truth I can base my life on. I, I love this man more than anything in this world, but I don't even put his word over that word. If his word doesn't line up with that one, it's going to be thrown down. It's going to be cast down. It's going to be taken captive because that is the only truth. And I can't, afford, I can't afford to put my faith in anything else because I'm telling you, the enemy can get them. Leslie's my best friend, but, but when she's unaware, the enemy can use her to speak to me. Do you see it? And so I can't afford to put my trust in, my, in anything, my faith in anything but the word of God. And so the enemy wants to get at that right away because he can't get through our perimeter. Tyler, remember, police, 
the, the bad guy can't get through. The perimeter is set up so the bad guy can't get through. And so right away, when he throws his fiery dart, let's say this fiery dart says, um, your prodigal son will never change. And you need to, at that point, say, is that going to penetrate me? And am I going to worry about that? Am I going to lose sleep over that? Or am I going to put up my shield of faith and say, ah, 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 ah. my son will be taught by the Lord, and great will my children's peace be. Get out of town. That's not getting through to me. But let's say he gets penetration. Let's say we say, oh, no, what if that happens? He gets penetration. Do you see it? He got through my shield. And so the next one, and I love this, this is what, this is what, uh, these are the, the fruits of the Spirit is what I got from Dick Denny. But, but I added this. See the abiding there in the middle? His whole goal is to get that target. He does not want you in the presence of God. He does not want you resting. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge. You're the only safe place for me. I am running for cover. I am coming into your presence because in that place the enemy has no access. He cannot stand that. And so his goal is to constantly lure us out of that place of abiding, that place of truth. That, that, that place of confidence in God. And because as soon as he can get us out of that place, then his whispers matter more. And as soon as he can get us out of that place, he can entice us into behavior that will not please God. As soon as he can get us out of that place, we lose our peace. We lose our joy. We, we, we lose just that sense of well-being. And we become vulnerable to his attack. And so he's trying to lure us out. And so he fires the dart, and if it gets through our shield, what happens? Uh, th this is what, what uh, David or Dick Denny says, and, and Dave and I changed this around quite a bit. And so this is where I lose his illustration, but we're going to pick up mine. Um, he, he, he tries to get through the next avenue would be love, because love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. The greatest of all these things is love. It's Christ's love in us. And so let's just use Leslie as an illustration. Let's say Leslie said something hurtful to me, and it, it grieved my soul, and it got in my head, and, and he got through my shield of faith, and, and, and it hurt me so deeply, and, and I didn't have any word to hold up against it, and, and so he got penetration, and, and balos, he, he threw it into my mind, and it got access, Okay. And so now I'm thinking about what she said. And instead of saying, mm, you know what, I'm not unaware. She was accessible. The enemy didn't, it didn't, she didn't say that. I don't battle against flesh and blood. It wasn't about her words to me. He used her to get to me, to speak his words, because he's a spirit, he needs a body to speak through. He used her to get to me. Instead of doing that, I say, She's so mean, and I don't even like her, and she's nasty. And, and, and so I don't love her. Love, agape love, love somebody unconditionally no matter what they do, no matter how they act. It isn't based on what they do to us and them loving us well. It is unconditional, and it looks for nothing in response. So, so I could say, you know what, the enemy just used her, and I'm going to love her well, and I'm going to forgive her because she has no idea what she's doing. And, and, and so I... 
he didn't get through my love, so it stopped. You see? But if I say, she is nasty and unkind, and I can't even believe she said that to me, okay, you got through my love. And now I'm going to just be like, go home, and I'm going to be like, I can't believe she said that to me. And Dave, can you believe she said that to me? And I'm going to go to bed at night, and I'm going to just lose sleep because I'm going to be like, I can't believe she said that to me. And she's just so nasty. And, and, and I'm going to start meditating on that, and I'm going to come out of that place of abiding, and what am I going to lose? My peace, or my joy is going to go first. My joy is going to go first. It's interesting that I looked up the, um, I looked at, well, wait, let's back up to, um, yeah, I'm going to lose my joy next. I looked at the opposite of joy, and I don't have my notes here. I wrote it in this book, though, so let's pull this. I looked up the opposite of joy, and that was so fascinating to me. Sadness, unhappiness, sorrow, disheartenment, misery, trial, agony. So if I, instead of staying in that place of abiding and saying the fruit of your spirit is joy, I have joy no matter what anybody does to me. It's not, it's not conditioned on, on my circumstances. It is a, it's, it's a fruit from abiding in you, and I thank you for your joy. And, and, and instead, I look at that and I say, that just made me really sad what she did to me. And that disheartens me, and, and that brings me sorrow. And, and I'm just going to let that steal my joy, and I'm going to start focusing on that, and before I know it, there goes my joy. And then, with my joy, the next comes peace, because Isaiah 26, 3 says, Hear me, you will keep him at perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. So now, are you with me? Are you staying with me? Is this too much? So her nasty, unkind words got through my shield of faith. It got through my love. It got through my joy. And now I'm meditating on this. And now my mind has not stayed on the Lord and on his goodness and on his love for me and on his word. Now my mind has stayed on what? Her words to me, which weren't her words. They were the enemy's words that he wanted to use to lure me out of that place of abiding. Are you following me? I will keep at perfect peace him whose mind has stayed on me because he trusts in me. At that point, I have a choice to say, wait a second, I just lost my joy, and I'm losing peace right now. And Lord, you tell me that if I can just stay my mind on you, that you'll keep me at perfect peace and, 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 and because I trust in you. And I trust you, Lord. I trust that you're going to take care of this thing. I trust that you have me. I trust that, that you're going to help my, me have a new way of thinking and a new way of seeing Leslie. And so... Bam, the dart is extinguished. However, if I take my mind off of him and onto what she said and I start meditating on that and rehashing that, I've just lost my peace because my peace is conditioned on staying on him, keeping my mind on him. Are you with me? So now he's gotten through my peace because Satan always wants to lure us out of a place of trust. He, he tempts us to say, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have allowed Leslie to say that to me. <laughs> and so now my, my mind is no longer trusting in him, and so I'm going to lose my peace. And so we lose our peace when we take our eyes off the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of God and start focusing on natural circumstances instead of the invisible world. So peace, um, then I, I end up losing my patience. <laughs> Patience, that word patience, if you look it up in the original language, it means slowness in avenging wrongs. 
slowness, slowness in avenging wrongs. So Leslie says what she says to me. I don't hold up my shield of faith. The enemy gets through it with his fiery dart. He gets through my love. He gets through my joy. He gets through my peace. And now I'm meditating on those nasty, unkind words. And, and, and uh, my mind's not stayed on God anymore. The enemy's lured me out of that place of abiding in him. And all my mind is spent meditating on what she said to me, what she did to me. And now I want to avenge the wrong. I want to get her back. And, and that's, I've lost my patience now. And the opposite of patience is impulsivity. I'm going to react to what she said instead of respond in a Christ-like manner. So now he's got my patience, and he's triggering impulsivity in me. So guess what's next? Self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city that's broken down without walls, leaving it unprotected, remember, perimeter, leaving it unprotected, is a man who has no self-control over his spirit, and he sets himself up for trouble. So the enemy is laughing all the way to the bank here, thinking now I got her self-control. And Satan loves it when we lose self-control. And once self-control goes, our kindness, goodness, faith, and gentleness goes out the window as well. Because with the lack of self-control, remember, patience, slowness, and avenging wrongs, I'm going to avenge that wrong. I'm going to lose self-control. I'm going to tell her a thing or two. I'm going to act in a way that's unbecoming. I'm going to be irritable to everybody around me. Are you with me? So there goes my gentleness and my kindness. All of that's going to go out. He's penetrated all of those in one swift shot of his fiery dart. So now, what about meekness? Well, meek people trust God to take care of them. Here's my favorite definition of meekness. It's that disposition of spirit in which we accept God's dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. The meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. This meekness towards evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict, that he's using them to purify his elect, and that he will deliver his elect in his time. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation the gentle person is not occupied with self at all. Meekness is that disposition of spirit in which we accept God's dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. So now, Leslie's words, shield of faith, my love, my joy, my peace, my patience, my self-control, my goodness, gentleness, meekness, uh, kindness, and now my meekness, because now I'm to a point where I'm saying, God, you did not get her back. You didn't even do anything. You let her get away with that, Lord. You don't even care about me. You don't even love me. And when are you going to give her what she has to Well, since you won't, I will. And so there goes me trusting you that you're dealing with me as good. And if you've allowed her to say that in my life, it must be because you want to purify me of something. Instead, I make it about her, and I want to avenge that wrong. And do you see how he has now won? Hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. And it's all because we got out of that place of abiding and total trust in God. Total trust in God. You'll say, Maria, that's a little much for me. <laughs> I'm telling you, 
We cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes. God's word doesn't promise that we will be free from the enemy's flaming darts, but it does say that we have been given a shield of faith to extinguish them. But we have to be careful that we are not giving him a place to work, a place to act in our lives. Um, you say, well, Rhea, I, I, I don't believe that the enemy has any power in my life. You are exactly right. You cannot be possessed by the devil. We'll talk about this more next week. A, a Christian, a blood-bought child of God, cannot be possessed completely under the control of Satan. Quite frankly, I think it's pretty rare that anybody is. I, it happens. I've seen it, but it, but it is. I don't think it's as as I think there's more need for deliverance than there is for exorcism. Are you with me? Um, and so uh, we, we, as Christians, we cannot be possessed by the devil. However, we can give him a place to act in our life. And, and that means that, that he can come and oppress us. And, and so that's, that's why I wanted to review this to you again before we start it on the spirit teaching next week. But, but I love the idea of giving him place because Derek Prince uh, gives this illustration. He compares demonization, which means giving him place, to criminal influence in a city. He says, while the center of the city, including City Hall, may be free and under governmental control, a few back alleys or side streets are controlled by criminals. So are you getting it? So even though you're owned by God, you belong to him, you're owned by him, you can let the criminal have access to your back alleys. A better illustration, I think, is one uh, of, of, a, of, of a homeowner renting out rooms in their house. And, uh, you know, when you are a, a homeowner, you can choose to rent out uh, rooms to your house. My, my daughter right now, uh, she has a homeowner that's renting to her and her college girlfriends. And Kendall wants to get an apartment on her own. And so she signed a lease with that owner. And, and she can sublet, even though that house belongs to him, she, because she rents from him, can sublet to another person. Are you with me? So if an owner of the house can, have, can rent his rooms out. So we have been, we, we are owned by God, but we can sublet our rooms. And we can sublet them to good renters or bad ones. When we sublet to good renters, it's things like the fruit of the Spirit, it's things like the gifts of the Spirit. We, we, we sublet to those things and they make our life better. If, if I had a home and I had a renter, I, I, uh, who uh, is it Lisa? Is, is Miley uh, renting right now? Oh, they bought it. I, I, was just, I was thinking Miley is doing all these repairs to the place she's in. There are people who rent and actually leave the place better than, what they, fir where, than they first got it. They improve on it. And so you can get really super good renters who improve on the home that they're renting. Are you with me? And so you can, the, 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 there are things that we can do and, and let the Holy Spirit improve if you will, it's a bad illustration there, but I want to talk to you about good, bad renters. You can let a bad renter through your shield of faith to penetrate your life and give place to the devil, and he can actually, there are renters who destroy properties. 
they absolutely come in and wreak havoc on the property. And the landlord at that point has to um, take authority. He has legal authority to have that renter removed, but he has to exercise that legal authority to do so. Are you with me? And the enemy has no legal right to be in our life. Absolutely none. It was, it was finished on the cross of Calvary. But if we choose to sublet to him and give him access to come take up room in a room in our house, <laughs> he can wreak havoc there. And unless we understand that we have legal authority and we can kick him out, he can continue to wreak havoc as long as he wants. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you have sublet the room of your life, uh, your heart to, to the enemy of, of your soul. You've said, bitterness, come on in. Unforgiveness, you're welcome here. Hatred, I think you can have a little place in my heart. Anxiety, well, I don't know what to do with you, but come on in. And he's, he's wreaking havoc. He's renting property that belongs to God that you sublet to him, and you have legal authority to kick him out, but you have to exercise it. You have to exercise it. He can stay there and continue to, be, to bring damage. Dr. Carl Payne says, my choice to rent out rooms in my life is a foolish decision, but it does not change the fact that God is still a legal owner of my life. When I'm ready to hand out eviction notices, he certainly has the authority to enforce those notices. Christians who choose to give footholds to Satan through unconfessed sin, possibly thinking it's just a game, are potentially surrendering areas of their life to demonic control one room at a time. Jesus wants to be Lord over every room of our life. The only rooms that are available for the enemy are the ones we've refused to give the Lord lordship over and that we give place to the enemy to rent. And if we choose to ignore the issues that the enemy is stirring up in our life and the damage that he's doing in the rooms in our heart, it's only a matter of time before things go from bad to worse. Demonic renters are like most bad renters and won't volunteer to leave uh, uh, the place they can call home unless they're forced to do, th do so. I told you a couple weeks ago about my son Tyler and how he was talking to me about squatters. He's the police officer and, and he tells me that squatters will continue to attempt to occupy and inhabit a place until someone enforces, defends their legal rights, until the authorities are called. Can I just tell you that we have been bought with the blood of Jesus. He purchased our redemption and our freedom on the cross of Calvary. We belong to him. He disarmed all powers and principalities and, and authorities on the cross of Calvary, and he made a public spectacle of them. He, Satan is a defeated foe. Because we belong to God, he has no power in our life except what we give him. And it's up to us to defend and enforce what Christ did on the cross. So if you went home tonight, if you leave this place tonight and you found a squatter, Tyler, a squatter had entered your home while you were gone and he settled in and, and he made himself at home, put his feet up on your couch, moved all his trash in, would you get home and just go about your business and ignore the fact that he was there? Would you turn a blind eye and pretend that, that he didn't exist? 
No, there's no way you would do that. You would call the authorities and get him out as soon as possible. And this is what needs to happen with every demonic influence that we have in our own life. It's interesting to me that the Gospels, all three Gospels record uh, Jesus clearing the temple, purging the temple. Do you know that story where Jesus goes in and he upsets the tables? Are you all with me? It was one of the few times, Dave thinks it's the only time, I would say one of the few times that we see Jesus angry, angry. It's a righteous indignation. It's one of the few times that we see him angry. And he goes in and he says, this stuff should not be in my temple. And he clears it. He purges it. Are, are you with me? And I was thinking about that this week and I thought, that's what needs to happen. We need to get that kind of righteous anger when the enemy has come in and set up tables in our life. And we need to purge. Jesus drove them out. And you and I need to drive the enemy out. We need to purge and to cleanse God's temple. We are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. We are responsible for the squatters in our life. God isn't going to zap us. He's not going to zap us. And so um, when, when you go home tonight, I want you to begin to, to look at, at the things in your life. And I'm sorry, my notes are so messed up. We're just going to close the book. Um, but, but I want you to just go home because we are going to start on these spirits next week. There's a spirit of heaviness. There's a spirit of infirmity. There, there's a, a spirit of divination. There, there are all kinds of spirits. We're just going to look at them one at a time. I'm not rushing through this to get back to the book of Luke. But it's going to be life-changing. But if you are not willing to look at the squatters in your life, if you do what I just described and, and you look at your life like you would go home and look at a squatter in your home and just ignore them, you're not, you're not going to benefit this at all by this at all. Because what you need to understand is you have authority. The Bible says, all authority has been given to me to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing can harm me. The, the Bible says that Jesus called the disciples aside. People say, well, you know, casting out, out demons is only for the apostles. Are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? Because that is a religious spirit right there that would say that. Because they don't understand that Jesus then gave the 70 uh, authority. And then he says to them, now go, everything I taught you, you go teach somebody else. You go teach them now. And so he, he oh man, that's messed up teaching. It's messed up teaching because we have authority to drive out demons. We have authority. We have power to say no to the devil's schemes. And so, but if you're just going to sit back idle, unaware, just like I started this message, unaware of the invisible realm, totally oblivious to it, just living, motivated and moved by everything in the natural, you will never walk the abundant life that Christ wants you to walk in. Because all the enemy has to do is give you a circumstance that will rattle you. And when you, like Elijah's servants, see everything in the natural and forget that there's a spiritual battle taking place and fight the battle there, you'll never win. And you'll live defeated. You'll live full of depression and hopelessness and despair. You'll live angry and nasty and bitter. You'll live addicted. You'll live, uh, you'll just, the guys we work with who struggle with sexual addiction, this is one of the principal things we teach them is you have to be aware. The enemy says, look at that woman. And you listen, you let him have entrance, he just got a place. Do you see, we cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes.
He is a schemer. And he knows what works for you. He knows what works for you. We need to do what we talked about last week. And we need to counterattack with the word of God. Extinguish those fiery darts with the, the shield of faith. Make sense? I, I know. I, I wish I'd had more time. I just threw it all together before I got here. Um, so I wish I had more time to fine tune it for you. But any questions at all? Please don't be bashful. I, I really want this to be clear. Yes, Leslie. I can't. Oh, oh, good question. <laughs> um, the family tree that we gave you. There are lots of ways that the enemy can gain access to our life and he can attack us. And Dave and I were talking about him. He does it through the mind. He does it through us giving place. He does it through, I believe, unconfessed sin. He, he does it through the enticement to sin. He, he does it through, what else, Davey? Uh, spirits, which we're going to talk about next week. Uh, he does it through, um, oh, I don't know. Generational sin is where I want to end up. Uh, and generational sin, this was what was in my notes before the perimeter came into being. Um, Leslie and I attended a conference at, uh, with uh, Francis and Judith McNutt probably 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and it was life-changing, life-changing for us. Um, uh, Francis has since passed on and gone to be with the Lord, but this is the handout that we got when we went there. And um, it, I believe in generational sin. The, the Bible talks about the sins of the father being passed down from generation to generation. And it, uh, uh, there's now, what's it called, epigenetics. Uh, um, there's epigenetics that's, that's, that's proving that you can turn genes on and off in a family line by the choices that you make. And then it's passed down through. So if you have, let's say, a father who has sexual addiction, he's turned on that gene in his brain. A and now the, the generations following him all have that gene. Instead of turned off, it's turned on automatically. So now they all have a tendency towards sexual sin. Do you see? That's a proven scientific fact. That's not biblical. That's scientific backing up the biblical. And so... Um, Generational sin, it's, it's a major thing. I'll give you a perfect example. My mother had, my mother, my grandmother had numerous adulterous affairs. She was a stunning little lady and uh, a firecracker. And um, my mom, her daughter, had numerous uh, adulterous affairs. I said, watching my mom, there is no way I will ever do that. I had, even in my teenage years, I had enough knowledge of generational curses that I said, this one is stopping with me. Um, and so when I was 25 years old, I found out that my mother had had an affair with a man and I was conceived in that affair, that the father who raised me was not my biological father, but rather it was the man who my mom had had an affair with. So now, I not only have one parent who committed adultery. I have two, and I was conceived in it. And I was like, oh, no, baby. That is not touching my life. It is not coming anywhere near me. That is a scheme that ends with me. That generational curse is not going to be passed down through the generations. So I said, I, I have a repulsion for it. I will, not, I will not have anything to do with adultery. So, so yep, just like alcoholism. So what happened? My first husband committed one adulterous affair after another. 
So it wasn't me that got it and passed it down. Now it affected me. It was someone close to me. He's a schemer. He is a schemer. Nobody can ever convince me that generational curses do not work. Um, and so I handed this out because I was going to talk to you about generational curses tonight. And this is a family tree. And you can read the instructions. They're all here. Uh, but 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 it is, it's fascinating when you go back and do this. And, and it gives you a guide. Now, this is not exhaustive. Uh, and and uh, it gives you a guide to follow. Have you seen any of this? And you start with... Uh, you, you start with yourself, and, and you talk about your children, you go to your spouse, and then you just follow the family tree back. Is there any of this? Uh, Mary, Mary Alice was saying alcoholism. Alcoholism is a generational curse. You see that pass straight down through families. Incest, yeah, you see all of that pass straight down through families. Sexual addiction, any kind of addiction, usually addiction ha attaches itself to a family. And, and, and this is why we can't be unaware. Because those generational curses can be broken. We can draw the bloodline of Jesus and say, this is not going any farther. It stops with me. Um, but you see, we have a church who's unaware, ignorant. And so we just continue. We think, oh, it's just the way our family is. We just have a bent that way. Or this is just something that dogs our family. It's just how I was created. It's who I am. No, it's not. You were created in the image and the likeness of God. And that's how you were created. But the enemy got a bent. He got, he got a way in. And, and so much of it can happen this way as well. And, and so I won't go over that with you. I won't park on it. Uh, I will answer any questions that you have about it. But it's, please take some time to do it because it's fascinating. So, Father, I thank you for every man and woman that are here tonight. I pray, Father God, that you would just rain down power in their lives, that you would give them an encounter with you that would radically change and transform their lives. Lord, I am not interested in being ankle deep with you. I don't want to go knee deep. I'm asking that you take us in over in and over our heads. Lord, we want to know the secret things of God, not just the, 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 the Logos word that we read. We want rhema revelation. We want the secret things of God. We want things that will transform the world for you. And so, Father... Make us more like you. Increase our knowledge of the holy. And Lord, I pray that this week you would give us such an awareness of the schemes of the enemy uh, that we would not be easily entrapped, that we would not be easily enticed and lured away from, from, from that place of abiding with you. Bless each one here tonight, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.